0: in the history of silver, and and, uh, China had been on the silver standard since time immemorial. So the longest monetary system which has survived in human history is that of China. We don't even know the origin, Uh, when it started, it was so long ago. And then, of course, the Chinese civilization goes back far, much farther than ours. And it, silver was always the money, the hand to hand money. And also hoarding, silver hoarding, uh, was. Very important part of the economy. I had occasion earlier to point out that hoarding is a bad word to hoard in in our civilization. This was never the case in China. Hoarding was the basic uh, method of accumulating capital and preferably keep it within family bonds. So that's how the Chinese operated, as opposed to our own civilization, and I'm not going to repeat what I have said, but it's quite clear that we passed from the early on, we passed from the uh, uh, direct conversion of income into wealth and wealth into income, to the indirect conversion, which means exchange of wealth and income. And this is uh, something which didn't happen in China or happened, started happening much later. So there is a very distinct uh, difference between our civilization and theirs. And silver is the linchpin which was at the center of how the Chinese operated. Now, uh, the first uh, nation which started trading with China was Portugal but then, very soon, other nations, especially the British, but also the French, got involved because the China trade was extremely profitable. These were highly marketable goods which came from China. They were uh, tea, porcelain, in fact, there were China is used in the English language as an equivalent to porcelain, which is this white uh, clay uh, giving you very fine uh, implements yeah. such as cups and saucers and plates and other things. And uh, there were silk very important item from china which was very highly marketable in the western uh, markets and the banking houses which financed this trade with china uh, made huge profits So everybody would have been happy, but for one thing, which was that uh, China insisted in payment in silver. And of course, that created a one-way flow of silver from the West to the East. And the Western countries wanted China to buy Western goods so that the trade could be balanced and this uh, one way flow could be stopped. Uh, this is uh, known as mercantilism, uh, this uh, economic theory that the international trade should be balanced and countries should have a pile of gold or silver. Well, China wasn't interested in gold, but it was definitely interested in silver, and it drained silver away from the Western countries. And this was a source of great irritation The West. Chinese were happy. The Western countries were unhappy. So something had to be done, and this is what happened. Soon they found out that China could be a made interested in, in opium. Any quantity of opium would be sold in China. As you know, opium is a, not content, a very highly addictive agent, which causes uh, uh, exuberance or... Uh, uh, and... Uh, And uh, the Western countries started to export opium to China. They bought opium, I think, in India uh, and uh, uh, other countries, and took it to China and sold it. And the demand was in insatiable, the Chinese would take opium in any quantity. So that, on the face of it, solved the uh, uh, trade problem, the trade surplus of China, which had to be paid in silver. And China wasn't interested in in Western-made goods until they hit upon opium. That wasn't Western-made. Western countries, uh, including Britain and France, uh, sent vast amounts of opium to China. Now the Chinese government soon realized how dangerous this was to the Chinese people to their health and also to their uh, productivity and the consequence was impoverishment of the Chinese people who became addicted to opium. And uh, I must say, that this is a very sad chapter in our own civilization trying to force this trade on China when the Chinese government outlawed the trade and manufacture of opium products it was illegal and then the uh, Western countries ignored this and continued various ways, uh, you see, through the seas, ships loaded with opium, going, smuggling is the word, uh, opium into China. And that wasn't enough, because when the Chinese tried to stop that trade by sending warships Searching these western uh, vessels for contraband, for opium, and they found it and then they destroyed it. Then the uh, reaction on the western side was violent. They resisted the Chinese and they declared uh, that. It's part of free trade, you know, the slogan was free trade. Uh, You see, by that time, (coughs) the Western countries' economics uh, came to recognize that free trade was beneficial, which it was really when it came to foodstuffs and many other things. Restricting free trade was uh, not to the benefit of the society at large. But of course, uh, that shouldn't have been applied to uh, contraband such as opium and addictive drugs. So, uh, this is a shameful chapter as i say in western uh, in in our civilization and the result was war in fact two opium wars this is how it's known in the in the history books 1830 was the first one and 1845 was the second one. Uh, a coalition of Western military forces naval basically were sent to find to fight the Chinese government and they had military, uh, superiority, and it was easy for them to defeat the Chinese. One one method, for example, was that uh, Western warships sailed up the Yellow River and other rivers in China, which. Are well, which have lots of cities, large cities, along upstream, and what they did is they destroyed the uh, collection, a uh, tax collection system of the Chinese Empire, which is basically uh, boats, Chinese government boats going visiting city after city and collecting the taxes you see so (laughs) what these warships, western warships did they destroyed these uh, tax collecting boats of the Chinese government thereby depriving the imperial government of funds to continue the war so after year or two, without taxes, the Chinese uh, government had to sue for peace. And the terms of the peace were cruel and humiliating. And uh, they had to give up, the Chinese had to give up territory like Hong Kong and uh, and, uh, Goa, right? In, in, uh, no, that's in India. Sorry. Uh, Macau. Macau. Macau, yeah. And, and that these were just the better known ones. And then there were others. And then they had special rights, extraterritorial rights, according to this humiliating peace treaty. Which meant that uh, Western merchants and missionaries were free to enter. They had extraterritorial rights, as if they were not, uh, they, you know, not subject to search or. or restrictions. Mm. So uh, the the countries to blame are Britain, France, and also the United States which uh, chimed in, perhaps not in the military part but in condemning China unilaterally because of violating free trade principles. So this was, uh, as I say, a very sad chapter. Now here's a a short quotation which gives you some idea of the Chinese uh, civilization and standard of living from a recent uh, website uh, article, and uh, I, I think this describes the situation rather accurately. In the 15th century, the highest standard of living in the world belonged to China. Places like Nanjing had reached the pinnacle of civilization which, in, with incredibly modern infrastructure, robust economies, substantial international trade, great healthcare and rising middle classes. Across the globe Halfway around the world, Europeans were living out short, mud filled, brutish lives in squalid poverty, dying, dying off by the thousands from the bubonic plague. They were practically <coughs> Neanderthals compared to the Chinese. And explorers like Marco Polo wrote fanciful tales of wealth and opulence in the East. If you had told a Chinese merchant at the time that over the course of the next several hundred years, global primacy would shift to Europe and relatively unknown American continent, you would have been laughed at. It was simply unthinkable, given how advanced China was over the West at that time. And yet it happened. History shows us that the great things about Western civilization, such as industrial revolution, technological achievement, and the not-so-great things about it, like imperialism, slavery, genocide caused the tables to turn and primacy to shift from east to west and it closes with one sentence ironically the tables are turning yet again and I would like to suggest, or add, that the tables on silver are also turning on again. Because you see this, what we call a shameful story, how the Western countries treated China, same shameful story how they treated silver. Well, that may just change. Silver could be remonetized, and when it is, it will be a different world again. I just think I mean, this is just a uh, little food for thought. I, uh, I, that's how I'm looking at the world. The, uh, China is making a tremendous comeback. It's a tremendous comeback from communism when uh, these things could happen, like the great leap forward, Mao Mao's great cultural revolution, and other things. Savage, you know, and in a few years. Or decades, China becomes the greatest creditor to the rest of the world, and we don't know how much silver China has, because as I pointed out, the Chinese silver standard goes back to times when no written record exists. So that's, uh, that's uh, the situation. I think it's uh, 11 o'clock, so... Uh we'll have a 15-minute coffee break and back for questions and answers. Thanks very much.